Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Sank. This is Christagenia Saturdays. It is Saturday, I hope, November 26th, 2011. Thank you for listening tonight. Thank you for being here. Tonight I'm going to read um, a, a, an essay I wrote. This month, it's not a spectacular essay, I don't think. It's European Disunion. It was the editorial in my Saxon Messenger this month. I cannot tonight cover the topic better than I did um, with Carolyn Yeager's help on her Voice of Reason program this past Monday. But but tonight, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to read my editorial and, and probably make some interjections, but I'm also going to read something from Ezra Pound. When I was doing the um, Mein Kampf Project, I like to call them the Mein Kampf Project podcasts, what with Sword Brethren, earlier this year, I had hoped to, and, and we, we still may someday, cover Ezra Pound at length. This man was put into an asylum by the United States government for a long time. He was locked up for years. I, I don't know exactly the details and how long, but it was for a long time. But during the war, he made radio broadcasts from Italy. And, and we will see, looking at the state of Europe today and, and the words of Ezra Pound, that if white Europe had heard Ezra Pound, they would have seen it coming. They would have seen the Europe that they would have left to their grandchildren. And, and I'm not saying America is any damn better. Uh, America is just as bad off. There's no doubt. But Europe, you, you would think, should be reserved for Europeans. And, and it's certainly anything but, of, of course. All white nations are being overrun with aliens. And there's a reason for it. And Ezra Pound points it out pretty damn well, so I won't get into it now. What I would like to say is the last couple of days, I've been um, making an active campaign to remove some of the universalists from my camp. I mean, my Facebook pages, my Christagenia forum, my chat server, I don't want any universalists. If you sympathize with Eli James on his late universalist position, I really don't want to hear from you. And I'm sure that most of these people here tonight, here present listening to this program, would agree with me. We don't have any room in this time of spiritual warfare for any sort of universalism at all. Well, I made a challenge on the Christagenia Forum to several people, well, actually several dozen people, and and I've had some positive responses and and little comments, and, and some of the people here, of course, have been good. But the people who the challenge was directed to, so far... They have all bailed without looking at the facts. Joshua Christ, our Savior, said, If you are not born from above, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. It can be demonstrated from Scripture that only the white race, the Adamic race, has that spirit of God that makes us born from above. If you're not one of us, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven in any capacity. Well, we have to know that now. We have to hold that line firm. 
You want to please your God, you'd better be holding that line firm if you are an awakened or aware Christian identist. There's no room for universalism in Christian identity, period. And to deny the words of Christ, well, you should know what that means if you've ever read your Bible even once. Some people on, on, on Facebook have, have said, what about brotherly love? And they've mentioned Romans 13, that we need love. Yeah, we do. We need love for each other. There's no doubt. But that's second. The first commandment is to love your God, and then you love your brother. If your brother doesn't love your God, you can't have communion with your brother. That's scriptural. I could cite 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to prove that. If your brother doesn't love your God, doesn't heed his commandments, that we are to be a holy and a separate people, well, you don't have to love your brother, and you better not. Your God comes first, and then your brother. So we only have unity in the words of Christ. We agree with them or we don't. If Christ says that only those born from above shall see the kingdom of heaven, what the hell are you doing preaching to non-whites? You have no business with them. You have no gospel message for them. And those people that abandoned my Facebook page today, I'm happy they did it. To hell with them all. I don't care how white they think they are. God comes first, and Eli James goes to the lake of fire. Okay, with that said, European misunion. In a community where only one member has the license to create money from nothing and demand interest for its use, the inevitable result is that the one member ends up owning everything in the community. There's no way around that. Like the more familiar laws of physics, this should be the first law of finance. And a usury-based economy would be an easily recognized evil. But it is never taught in our schools, and the true mechanisms of the usury-based economy are forever hidden from the average man. As the inevitable onset, and it is inevitable, the inflation and the higher and higher taxes take more and more of his wages away from him. The God of the Bible demands that people use just weights and equal measures, engaging in trade fairly. Inflation is unjust. The Federal Reserve, when the Jews were handed the reins to our economy, the Federal Reserve, one of the pretenses was that there would be no inflation, and all we've had is inflation. The God of the Bible also demands, and I didn't write it into the paper, that you don't charge your brother usury ever. Never. You can't charge your brother usury and please your God. With all that aside, a currency should not be a vehicle used to facilitate the enslavement of a people. It is only supposed to be a tool of the people allowing them to fairly engage in commerce with one another. That's the reason to have 
a currency. For a currency to be honest, a currency must be organic, homegrown, and representing the, the, the production of the people that it is produced to serve. In 1933, Adolf Hitler understood this. He actually understood it long before then, and he put it into practice in Germany. He revoked the exclusive license of the international Jewish bankers to produce Germany's currency. Hitler's Germany began producing its own currency, thereby throwing the wolves out of the sheepfold. World Jewry immediately declared war on Germany. Because Jewish bankers had exclusive monopolies in the world's other and more powerful nations, they were able to get those other nations to execute that war and to destroy Germany and its allies. However, in the intervening years before they were able to affect that war, Germany prospered while the rest of the world, still under the control of the Jewish bankers, suffered in the squalor of the Great Depression. A lot of people have said to me, oh, but it was war that made Germany so prosperous. No, that's a lie. That's Jewish propaganda. It was war that pulled America out of the Depression. We stayed in the Depression until Franklin Delaney Roosevelt declared war on Germany. And what happened? All of a sudden, there was plenty of money and plenty of jobs. And America was able to build lots of guns and tanks and pay lots of soldiers. I wonder why. Well, because the Jews started printing money again, which they had withheld. They withheld it from us for 15 years. A. Ralph Epperson, while he's not good for a whole lot else, did an excellent job in a book called The Unseen Hand of basically describing how economies function in a few chapters so that people could readily understand it, how economies function and how the Jews engineered the Depression. That's just one source for that information. There are others. The Jews engineered the Depression to put Europe and America under slavery. Adolf Hitler broke the bonds of that slavery. Germany as a state, produced its own money, and Germany, therefore, had to be destroyed. That's what it boils down to. That was the reason for the war. Anything else, and people are just kidding themselves. Of course. With the outcome of the war, Germany was put back under the thumb of the Jewish bankers. In recent decades, those same bankers have fought hard to put all of Europe under a single currency, which is produced exclusively by the bankers. But all of Europe does not have the same production capability. The generally sluggish economies of Italy, Greece, and Spain cannot possibly keep up with those of Germany and Britain and the far more productive states of the North. It's cultural. It's genetic. There's a lot of reasons. The German people are simply more industrious. The Greeks and the Italians and the Spaniards are simply more relaxed and more pastoral and agricultural. Today, those same nations 
are buckling under disparity. They are the first cracks in the euro. Not even 10 years ago, Goldman Sachs cooked the books in the first place to get Greece into participation in the EU currency, the euro. Greece should have never been eligible for participation in the euro. Of course, Greece was not a lone victim of the scheme then, nor is it now. Today, all of Greece is owned by the IMF, having sold its sovereignty in order to pay off the bankers that gambled against that country's economic success by selling short its bonds and manipulating its markets in the first place. In other words, when Greece joined the euro, it was going to be pillaged by the banks. It didn't have a chance. Funny that Papademos, and, and he's what I'll quote it later, but the current prime minister is one, of the, is one of the primary clowns responsible for Greece's enslavement. Paying off the bankers who have sold out a nation is what the Jewish-controlled media has sold to the people of those victim nations as a bailout. We see it here in America also. The bankers have enslaved us. The bankers make bad loans, and the bankers, they get paid. The Jewish-controlled media, well, well, is prevailing in Greece. It has prevailed in Greece, uh, at least in the eyes of the rest of the West. It, it's the Jewish-controlled media propaganda has definitely prevailed. And the Greek people have said, to, they're said, I don't know if they really do, because all polls are rigged, are said to support by a margin of three to one, a provisional government headed by a man highly favorable to the masters of the global economy. The new Greek government, government, which is slanderously being called a national unity government, but really only unifies the bankers and, and all Greek property, is being headed by a former vice president of the European Central Bank. The Greek people, again, don't stand a chance. The Greek patriots who stand against the Jewish pillaging of their nation have so far been marginalized, especially in the eyes of the rest of the West, which is milk-fed lies manufactured by that same Jewish-controlled media. If the media is running its lips, it's lying. And at the same time, those same bankers and media are working in concert to extort the rest of Europe, and, and this is the big dog, to extort the rest of Europe into committing ever greater sums to support another nation crippled by that same economic disparity. They are threatening to bankrupt Italy. The political process in these nations is best summed up by Christopher Brooks, who's actually, as far as newspaper columnists go, seemingly halfway decent. Christopher Brooks said, I'm sorry, Christopher Booker said in a recent London Telegraph article, which is entitled, The EU's Architects Never Meant It to Be a Democracy, where he states, and I quote, the new Greek prime minister, Lucas Papademos, was the man who was the head of Greece's central bank, fiddled the figures to enable Greece to get into the euro against the rules in the first place. And then he was rewarded with a senior post in the European Central Bank. So he helped Goldman Sachs in their plot to get Greece into the euro, cook the books, and today he's rewarded by being the prime minister of Greece. And once again, he's in a position to do the dirty deeds of the bankers and sell Greece out 
again because he's pushing these new loans and, and this new bailout through the throats of the Greek people before a call for elections next year. It's incredible. He is no more democratically elected, he was appointed as an interim prime minister, than Mario Monti, who will most likely be Italy's new prime minister and hurriedly was made a senator to, for life in order to qualify him for that job under Italy's laws. Monti's main qualification is that as a former senior EU commissioner, he has been a, long been a member of the Brussels elite himself. The media language concerning Papademos, a name which ironically may be taken to mean father of the people, that's a slap in the face to Greece. The media language seems to betray the banker's intentions for Greece. In a Wall Street Journal article entitled Papademos Favored to Lead Greek Transition, it is said that he has backed a new Eurozone aid package for Greece, which he said must be safeguarded and ratified by the present parliament, even as he called for new elections. Well, guess who's coming up for that Eurozone aid package? Guess who's coming up with that money? Those elections are not being called for until next year. Surely this will be ran down the throats of the people. The bankers will continue to extort the rest of the European nations to lend money to Greece, so that Greece may forestall default and continue to pay off the previous bad loans that were made by those same bankers in the first place. All of the risk is absorbed, as always, by the productive peoples of Europe, but the bankers always get paid regardless of their success, and there is no way that Greece is ever going to pay off these loans with the Greek economy. It's not possible. One new method of this extortion of Europe is the proposed creation of the European Stability Mechanism. This is evil. The ESM, which in effect, and, and it's replacing other stability mechanisms in its place that didn't work, the ESM in effect commits the entire economy of every European Union nation, even Great Britain, which has not even been involved in the Euro currency project, it commits this entire economy into the hands of an unelected body, which, according to provisions of the same treaty, is immune to prosecution for any reason. There's a video which explains all of this on the Saxon Messenger website on this article, European Misunion. They're immune to prosecution for any reason, no matter how bad they screw up, they can't be prosecuted under the current, under the proposed laws. The initial commitment to the ESM requires of member nations 700 billion euros. But the treaty provisions require that more can be demanded at any time on a week's notice and cannot be refused. This new European stability mechanism basically writes the unelected bureaucrats of the ESM, who are working for the bankers, a permanently renewable blank check on the accounts of all the people of Europe with absolutely zero responsibility or accountability to those people. Remember the arguments here, the debates here about raising the debt ceiling, which is really a joke. Well, well this is a permanent raising of the debt ceiling in Europe, that's for sure. 
a permanent and unlimited raising of the debt ceiling. And the bankers will look for every excuse to loan money to governments. And that's why the bankers are so big on pushing government programs so that governments spend more money. In Europe, the inevitable result is that Britain, Germany, and all the rest of the EU nations are plummeted into that same ever-spiraling debt that we see in Greece and Italy and Spain and Portugal. And forced to sign all of their assets over to the bankers uh, operating under the cloak of the IMF. All such treaties are frauds, which the Jewish bankers, who choose amiable and pliant politicians by financing their election campaigns and promoting them in their own controlled media, the Jewish bankers devise these frauds against the people. When an individual starts a business and invests into it his own hard-earned savings, along with his own labor, and that business fails, after the smoke is cleared, the individual himself absorbs all the losses. You've lost everything you put into that business. When the bankers invest in the nation, they create the money that they have invested from thin air, in ledger accounts, in, in keypad, key, computer keyboards. They just create the money. And when the nation fails, the bankers demand that the people of that nation surrender their lives and their futures to the bankers. And they do that through the bond game. The bankers, more often than not, are able to sell the debts from the invented money of one nation to other nations in a game of bonds and other securities for money that those same bankers in those other nations have also created from nothing. The politicians, who are all whores, which the bankers themselves have created, always accede to the demands of the bankers. The people are therefore responsible for covering the losses of the bankers, losses which are most often not even real, while the people never share in the profits of the bankers. I must say that one recent, although tiny, exception has been Iceland. That nation has confiscated its major banks by nationalizing them. A bold move. In addition, its people have recently and bravely refused to bail out its bankers by refusing to repay investments in the 2008 failure of the Icehave Bank. That's a bold move, too, but it's a very brave one. I don't know how we're not bombing Reykjavik right now. If outsiders invest in a bank in Iceland, a bank over which the common people of the nation have no direct control and in which they do not share in the profits, why are the common people of the nation expected to cover the losses? Why? How the hell is that? What kind of reason is that? Why doesn't the media ever question that? The media never questions that because it works for the same damn Jew bankers. The situation in Iceland should beckon an obvious question from any average observer. How do the international bankers rate having the taxpayers cover its bad investments when the average taxpayer himself has no such protection? Why are average citizens forced to cover the bad investment choices of the wealthy internationalist Jewish bankers? The average citizen who gets all of his information from a Jewish-controlled media that will never tell him the truth about these issues, since the media is only an agency of its owners, 
will never understand the nature of his own enslavement and doesn't even understand the fact that he is indeed a slave. The American people should have asked these questions when Congress recently forked out several trillion dollars to the Jewish-controlled banks in a recent bailout. And, of course, the American people have no money unless those same Jewish bankers created out of thin air and then charge their creation to the people by forcing the government to print bonds, which are debt notes, and the people have to pay it back in the form of real goods and services to be produced by the people in the future. This is de facto slavery. And now all of Europe is about to be plunged much deeper into that same form of slavery. Slavery to the Jewish usurers who create money from nothing and then suck the blood of the people forever with the, with the miracle of compound interest miracle if you're a Jew. God creates things from nothing. The Jew responds by inventing compound interest. Wow. However, the official bailout generally reported by the media is only a small part of the story. According to Bernie Sanders, I remember when Bernie Sanders was a bum. He was a hobo in Burlington, Vermont. He was a joke. He was a commie and he was a he was homeless and he ran for he ran for Congress and he won. Actually first he ran to be the mayor of Burlington and as a joke these clowns, these well as Ezra Pound calls them, Yankee Judeos, they voted, they elected him. They elected a homeless bum to be mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Now he's a US senator. It's absolutely incredible. And he's a Jew and he, he's a communist. Well, according to Bernie Sanders, the, now the U.S. president, the U.S. senator from Vermont, the Federal Reserve provided more than $16 trillion in total financial assistance to some of the largest financial institutions and corporations in the United States and throughout the world. Bernie Sanders also said that, and this is his official government website, he also said that according to a U.S. government accounting office report, that the Fed unilaterally provided trillions of dollars in financial assistance to foreign banks and corporations from South Korea to Scotland. Now, there's an article on Senator Sanders' website, July 21st, entitled The Fed Audit. And there, but I downloaded it and I put it on the Saxon Messenger website, is the official government, I think they call it the Government Accountability Office now, as if the government ever had any accountability, and, and where their official report can be downloaded. The sum of $16 trillion is greater than the combined federal budgets for all eight years, and probably for the, at the first seven, of, of the Clinton administration. Sixteen trillion dollars. This company could run. This country ran on, on that with all of our excess spending for eight years. This bailout, so-called bailout, and these so-called loans, they basically represent not only the theft of the futures of the American people, who are going to be forced to make good on those loans, but also the theft of everything 
that this artificially manufactured money is able to purchase. The Jewish bankers are therefore literally stealing the world. And they have been for as long as they've been able to manufacture their own fiat currency, all in the names of the world's civil governments. The Jew sits there in the Federal Reserve, invents $16 trillion, and hands it out to his friends. That's counterfeiting, but they have a license to do it. The bank doesn't have $16 trillion laying around to, bail, to loan out. It just creates that money and loans it out at no interest or at extremely low interest. And the extremely low interest rates destroy the savings of the people. They destroy the investments of the people. But they benefit the banks because the banks can basically create money from nothing, loan it out at zero to no interest to their friends, and their friends go out and buy up all the property they want and pay, that, pay back the banks and, and, and bargain from it. And they're able to basically steal the world. Will the governments of Northern Europe also sign away the futures of its people, all to maintain an artificial union of forever unequal parts? That's what we have in the European Union. That's why it's the European Misunion. And our Holy Bibles, the prophet Daniel in his second chapter, explains why the old Rome fell. Because the iron and the clay would not cleave to one another. The disparate races of the empire had no true concord and could no longer stand together as a viable force in resistance to the Germanic tribes which conquered it. We see under the EU today that the disparate races of the new Rome, the European Union, if I may borrow the term, neither can they stand, and they're being flooded with aliens as we speak. And it's going to get even worse. I have here an article, thanks to uh, Carolyn Yeager, I believe, from the Daily Express in the UK. This article is dated November 19, 2011. Brussels orders Britain to let in more migrants from around the world. Britain's already overrun with Muslims and, and Pakistanis and all kinds of non-British, non-Saxon, non-English people. Britain is already in close danger to losing its identity. And now Brussels is ordering Britain to let in more migrants from around the world. You know, I thought back in... Um, in, in the 1940s and, and in the First World War, that Britain saved, or, or Britain actually conquered Europe. Britain and America, Britain actually conquered Europe. Britain went to war against Germany and won. Britain saved France from Germany. Well, well now France and Germany are ordering Britain to be overrun with how, how How we reap what we sow. It's incredible. There's no doubt we reap what we sow. Now Britain is being ordered by the people, by the Eurocrats on a continent, to let in more migrants from around the world. The amazing thing is that this article says, to ensure prosperity, this is the, from the EU diktat, to ensure prosperity, Europe must become a more attractive destination in the global competition for talent. Well, let me tell you something. 
those Negro Somalis pouring over the borders of Europe, that, that's talent, all right. All those Muslims that have invaded London and demand welfare checks, yeah, that's talent. Britain's really competing. Uh, all those gypsies that are overrunning the suburbs of, of England and, and London, that's talent. They're all on welfare. That They all have refugee status because they're from Somalia or Algeria or, or some other backwards dung hut infested place. That's talent. If those people had any damn talent, they'd stay home and build something better than a dung hut. Absolutely incredible. When the hell are our people going to wake up? Occupy Wall Street is not the answer. Occupy Wall Street is a Bolshevist movement, financed by foundations controlled by those same Jewish bankers who have long desired to force the world into an acceptance of global socialism. The same people behind Occupy Wall Street were behind the Bolshevik Revolution and all other Marxist-related movements. The Jewish plunder of Christendom began several centuries ago. The Thirty Years' War, when Jews controlled the Roman papacy from the time of the De Medicis, don't be deceived, under the Jesuits, they definitely controlled the movements of the Catholic Church in, in its effort to conquer the world in the colonial period. The Thirty Years' War and the 17th century destruction of Germany by the Catholic Church can be laid at the seat of the Jewish infiltration of the Catholic Church through the Jesuit order. The failed socialist revolutions of the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries can all be laid at the feet of those same Jewish Jesuits and the Jewish bankers and the secret societies which they manipulated. The blame for all modern wars since Napoleon can be laid on the shoulders of the Jewish bankers of Europe and America. The destruction of Christian Russia and Eastern Europe can be laid upon those same Jewish shoulders. The media-promoted socialist revolutions of today, the feminist revolution, the sexual revolution, now we have a homosexual revolution, sexually deviant revolution. They're all an extension of that same centuries-old destruction of Christianity orchestrated by the same international Jew. More socialism is not the answer. We have already had more than enough of those failed Jewish experiments. Only Christ is the answer. The anti-Jew. He who threw the money changers out of the temple. He is the only answer. Christ and a return to that ethnic nationalism which was the norm throughout Europe for 3,000 years. Ethnic nationalism is the expression of that brotherly love demanded by Christ of his people. An abandonment of Jewish usury. Something which is in fact abhorred by the God of the Bible. And a return to just weights and measures and an organic currency will once again drive the devils from the temple. Andrew Jackson understood all of this when he exulted that he killed the bank, and he did. They tried to kill him for it. Adolf Hitler understood all of this, and the Jews destroyed him for it. There's strong evidence that the last 
possibly the last legitimate American president, even though we know that, that, there's, that there is controversy about his election. John Kennedy, he also knew all of this, and they killed him for it. Until today's Christians realize all of this, they will be and they will remain the slave of world Jewry. On a personal note, most of our households are heavily in debt. They operate in debt. They take out credit card loans to buy TVs, to watch Jewish sitcoms, to watch Jewish sporting events, to watch the Jewish-fed media and the Jewish-controlled media. They become slaves when they buy televisions, and they make themselves twice fold the children of hell. There's no doubt. I have here a poem. It, it's not really, I'm sorry, it's not really a poem. It, it's written in a poetic fashion. It's not a poem. It's, it's a, um, a speech by Ezra Pound. Ezra Pound speaking. This is the full text of one of 120 broadcasts available in the book, Ezra Pound Speaking, Radio Speeches of World War II. You wonder why the Jews locked up Ezra Pound in the same asylum. Well, this explains it. I don't know that the man must have had a, a certain um, charisma and, and definitely attracted their attention, and he fled to Italy where he broadcast radio programs for several years and, and then um, speaking out against Jewish capitalism and, and world control, uh, and, and he was eventually caught up with and, and placed in an insane asylum in America where he spent, I believe, the rest of his life. I, I don't think he was ever freed again. Uh, I, I really want to cover his life and study it and, and, and cover it because I know that it's a valuable lesson for us today. And, and I hope to do that possibly early next year. Pound broadcast at least 120 original editorial and manifestos over Radio Rome. He was also a poet. Over Radio Rome in Italy from 1941 to 1943. This is from a speech of his, a broadcast of his, on March 15th, 1942. And hopefully, since he uses some arcane language, I won't butcher his, trans his pronunciations too much. And I quote, the enemy is Das Lie Capital. Your enemy is Das Lie Capital. International Wandering Loan Capital. Your enemy is not Germany. Your enemy is money on loan. And it would be better for you to be infected with typhus and dysentery and Bright's disease and to be infected with this blindness which prevents you from understanding how you are undermined, how you are ruined. These are all the words of Ezra Pound. I may interject my own comments as I proceed. I will take some calls after this as long as they're not from trolls. So if anybody wants to call in, they're more than welcome to. The big Jew is so bound up with this lie capital that no one is able to unscramble that omelet. Yes, that is true. It would be better for you to retire to Derbyshire, he's speaking to the English people, and defy New Jerusalem 
which he considers to be the international banks. Better for you to retire to Gloucester and find one spot that is England than to go on fighting for jewelry and ignoring the process. It is an outrage that any clean lad from the country, I suppose there are still a few English lads from the country, it is an outrage that any nice young man from the suburbs should be expected to die for Victor Sassoon. It is an outrage that any drunken footman's Bible should be asked to die for Sassoon. As to your empire, it was not all of it won by clean fighting. But however you got it, you did for a time more or less justify keeping it on the ground that you exported good government or better government than the natives would have had without England. You let in the Jew, and the Jew rotted your empire, and you yourselves out-Jewed the Jew. Your allies in your victimized holdings are the Bunya. You stand for nothing but usury. I would believe that Pound is going back pretty far in history here. When the Jews were admitted to England, English, the, 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 um, after a short time, in about the 12th century AD, the Jews were admitted to England under William of Normandy. By the 12th century AD, the Shitar, which is the ancient Babylonian financial code, upon which all Western commercial law is now based. That basically became the basis for English law, for English commercial law. When the Jew was expelled in the third century, the English kept the shitar. The English kept the usury that they learned from the Jew. Ezra Pound is totally correct here. When the Jews came back in with Cromwell, of course, they did better eventually at the usury business than the Englishmen did. But the English, they had it going on. Even while the Jew was expelled, they were engaging in a usury-based economy, which they learned from the Jew that was admitted with William of Normandy. And that must be what Town refers to. Now to proceed with Ezra Pound. And above metal usury, you have built up bank usury, 60% against 30 and 40%. And by that, you will not be saved. Corrupting the whole earth, you have lost yourselves to yourselves. And the big Jew has rotted every nation he has wormed into, a millstone. While an exceptionally good swimmer might conceivably be cast into the sea with a stone tied around his neck, he might perhaps untie it. If he were a Scotchman, he would remember his jackknife before being thrown overboard. You, he's speaking to the English people, you seem to remember nothing. It were better you were infected with typhus. As to Federal Union, or Junion, there is no question of race in Strite's proposition. It is, as proposed, a union of slaves under Jewry 
offered by liars and abettors of thieves. Of course, Pound's talking about Britain itself and its government there. And now we have that same exact thing that Britain's caught up in in the entire European Union. You have stolen land from your late allies. The land slips from your control. The only conquests of Britain and Rosenfeld are conquests from their alleged allies. From their alleged allies. All right. Say that Franklin Delaney swipes all South America. To what end? And ruin the United States of America while he is doing it. Let me say that Pound foresaw Franklin Roosevelt's taking South America. That's why he, he, he said this. I, I guess he's, he, he's, um, say that Franklin Delaney swipes all South America and ruin the United States of America while he was doing it. Let me say that under the liberal policy since the time of Roosevelt, we have swiped all South America. We don't have the land, but we sure as hell have a great number of the people, and it has ruined the United States of America. So maybe Pound knew what he was talking about in that aspect. It was American corporations which actually precipitated a lot of the Mexican immigration that we've seen in the 80s and 90s unto the present day because American corporations had, at that time, displaced many of the Mexican, well, I don't know if I want to call them farmers, but they did live on farms and raise a lot of their own food. Many of the Mexican family farms that were displaced and, and um, that forced a lot of those people to seek a better future elsewhere, and, and they were forced into America by the corporations. That they, they have a great deal of culpability in it. That's not the only factor. All right, say that Franklin Delaney swipes all South America. To what end? And ruin the United States of America while he is doing it. What's that to you? It is not England's salvation. Will you ever look at the story of empire? You are not even in the mercantile system. You are in a fake mercantile system, not even mercantile. Of course, it's a fake mercantile system because only certain Jewish banking families had the right to produce currency. It was for a time called mercantile or the mercantilist system and defined as considering the happiness of a nation to consist in the amount of money it owned and its process to consist in stealing, welching, pouching the greatest possible amount of that same money from other nations. That defines the usury system, the only system Anglo-Saxons have known or used in our time. And that is absolutely true. The Bank of England was founded in 1696, and England has been under the yoke of the Jew ever since. They tried to do that here in the early 1800s. Andrew Jackson forestalled that until 1913. And it will not save you, nor will Judaize Russia, as Rapound understood that Soviet Russia was really being run by a Jewish cabal, even with Stalin. Nor will the Kahal, the Jews' central committee of bleeders, what is their system on varying cheap goods, sweated out of cheap labor, dung dust hurled on the world, 
the world conceived as a sweatshop, to hell with the eight-hour day, down with abundance, dumping sweated goods, dumped against any and every nation that pays a just price for labor. That is your ally. That's Ezra Pound to England. We've seen that same dumping going on from the Orient to the United States to North America in general, Canada too, for the last 40, 50 years, since the close of World War II, since the Jewish reindustrialization of Japan and then Korea and Hong Kong and Taiwan and China. We've seen that same thing happen. Ezra Pound knew exactly how it worked. In his time, he understood that they were slave-laboring Russians. The Jews in Russia were slave-laboring Russia and dumping cheap slave-made goods into English markets. And we see that that same thing in Mexico with NAFTA. We see that same thing in China where they build factory dormitories for 5,000 workers that have no families, that just sleep in a cot and slave in a factory. And then those dumps are, those goods are dumped on American markets and destroy American business. And we buy it up because we hate our brother. We buy it up to save five bucks and screw our brother. Pound saw it in 1942 in Europe. He would <laughs> imagine if Ezra Pound saw England today. Back to Ezra Pound. And in your past, the trail of blood and infamy. You bought Hessians, this is half right, to kill your own blood in America. You bought them from a stinking feudal overlord who was in the hands of the Bank of Rothschild. That is history. You stirred up the American savages, and the English did this, against your own kin in America. But now, Eden and Cripps have called in the Muscovite to burn and destroy all of Eastern Europe and kill Finland for the sake of the stinking Jews' nickel mines. And yes, that's what they did. And Pound knew that Soviet Russia was being controlled from the British banks. Your infamy is bound up with Judea. You cannot touch a sore or a shame in your empire, but you find a mond, a sassoon, or a goldsmith. You have no race, meaning the English race. You have no race left in your government. God knows if it can still be found scattered in England. It must be found scattered in England. The white remnants of England. Imagine if Pound saw England today. This was 1942. The white remnants of England. The white remnant of the races of England must be found and find means to cohere. Otherwise, you might as well lie down in your graveyards. You have for years had cheap goods dumped in from Russia, 
Your alliance with Moscow will bring no relief to that wound, meaning the military alliance of the 1940s against Germany. Your Jews have found, your Jews have ruined your home manufacturers. Loans from the city of London, loans to the Orient, interest paid in cheap cotton goods. Loans to the South American countries, interest paid in beef from the Argentine, and the ruin of English grazing. The laws of durable government have been known from the days of King Wen. When empires go to rot, they go to rot for known reasons. Nations have to produce their own durable goods. They have to produce things of substance or they do not survive. The Times, Telegraph, Manchester Guardian are there to conceal these reasons. The media is lying to us. The media, the Jewish media, has concealed the mechanisms by which the Jew has looted and pillaged Europe and America. If you buy a newspaper in this country, if you turn that damn television on and listen to their news, you're cutting your own throat. Ezra Pound knew it. The Times, the Telegraph, the Manchester Guardian are there to conceal these reasons. Your press is an infamy, and it has been throughout our time. The laws of durable government have been known from the days of King Wen, and when the Roman Empire perished, it perished from the same follies that your kites, your Rothschilds, bites, scythes, ships, and goldsmiths have squirted into your veins. Cheap grain done from Egypt, the ruin of Italian farming, usury and more usury, that is the answer. That is the answer that England thought was the answer. That's the Jewish answer. For two countries, and now they're doing it again in, in, in Europe, they're piling usury on top of usury, chasing bad, bad money after worse loans. For two centuries, ever since the brute Cromwell brought them back, to, brought them back into England, the kikes have sucked out your vitals. A mild penetration for a hundred years. They have bootlicked your mobility, and now where is your nobility? You had, well, they're all married to Jews, of course. You had at least the semblance of control. You had, let us say, some influence with the lords of Judea as long as they wanted your titles. As long as Levi Levenstein Lawson wanted to be addressed as Lord Burnham. You could turn the worst edge of their apparatus, or rather you could turn it off, the upper or hupper clauses, and turn it onto the pier as you did without mercy. But when the same scroungers had moved over to New York City, and they have, how will you manage them? The same bloody-minded extortioners or their descendants. The same financial houses. The same Rothschilds who plotted with Sherman and Vandergould to kill the American nation, he's talking about the Civil War, who betrayed the United States in the 60s, he's talking about the 1860s, head office in London, agents in the United States of America. Now the address is altered. Main office in Wall Street and Cohen in London. You send Willie over to spy on us. You send 5,000 us usurers, pimps, over to Washington, 
and give special passports, diplomatic, to inveigle the United States into your plans to get cannon fodder from Idaho and Iowa to weld your slave sellers on Europe. And this time, you get dumped into the ash can. Ezra Pound knew that the English Empire was basically over with World War II. Here he knew it several years in advance. He knew that England's involvement in World War II and, and its coaxing of America into the war would not only end the British Empire, but would end British trade hegemony, and it did, permanently. And Britain did go into the ash can. You have even forgotten your Kipling. Pig Baldwin has forgotten his cousin. If his obscene and treacherous mind ever grasped the meaning of Rudyard's stories, let me recall one passage to the South Face. Pig Baldwin was obviously a contemporary British politician. Kipling was a great nationalist. Christian nationalist, British poet. The Americans, wrote Rudyard, obligingly slaughtered each other in order that the Czechoslovaks might inherit Boston Common. That's exactly what happened. Cross Tibby, that's a Latin phrase, it means tomorrow is for you. Cross Tibby, tomorrow is your turn. You reap what you sow. Damn it all, you slaughtered the flower of England in the Boer War. Then in 1914, in the first three months, the best of you went out and got slaughtered. And yes, that did happen. Yeah, you know, I have, I'm going to mention this, I have a Liddell and Scott lexicon, the ninth edition. And in the preface to that ninth edition of Liddell and Scott, it mentions several British academics. It mentions how a new edition of Liddell, of the Liddell and Scott, or Little and Scott, English lexicon was actually forestalled because several of its great, their great, England's great Greek scholars, young men, were killed as officers in World War I. At one time, in a much more noble age than we live in now, great scholars were also great warriors. And they went off to war and they died. The introduction to the Liddell and Scott lexicon is a testament to that. And the Ezra Pound here is a testament to that. Today, Americans still go off to die for the Jew, but all the scholars are Jews, and they never go off to die in our wars. And your South Papers, the filth of your newsprint, has been subsidized to keep your minds off it. A dirty bit of meat by the name of Galanz has used your book trade to conceal it. You have almost no means of communication. And that is true. Without the Internet, and, and we have a little piece of communication with the Internet, without the Internet, the only media we have is Jewish-controlled media. 
five or six major Jewish-controlled media companies. They control all of our print and broadcast media outlets. Well, it was already that way in, in, in Britain by the time of the Second World War when the Jews controlled just about the entire British media. And all media reports from Europe to America came through the Jewish company Reuters. Everything we knew about Europe came through the mouth and mind of the Jew. It's incredible. When a book Adams writes five volumes that would help you to see it, six copies reach England. You have lost the health of the mind. God knows how the scattered handful of Englishmen still in England can speak with one another. Let me say that this reference to Brooke Adams, Brooks Adams, I'm sorry, Brooks with an S, that's his name, Brooks Adams, is to the grandson of John Quincy Adams, great-grandson of the president, John Adams. He was a critic of capitalism which is not the same as free enterprise. He wasn't a communist. He was for free enterprise. He was a critic of capitalism. He wrote The Law of Civilization and Decay in 1895, and he wrote America's Economic Supremacy in 1900. Let me say that he had a brother, Henry Adams. Henry Adams was a known anti-Semite. He talked about the Jews in the 1800s. Of course, that didn't make Henry Adams very popular. He was a writer of very excellent historical essays and books, which are horribly neglected today, as is the work of Brooks Adams. They were nationalists. They were anti-Jews. And that's who Ezra Pound is referring to, probably where he got a lot of his education from. The Adamses were a great family. When a Brooks Adams writes five volumes that would help you to see it, so he must have known something about history, six copies reach England. You have lost the health of the mind. God knows how the scattered handful of Englishmen still in England can still speak with one another. I see no remedy in your parliament. I don't mean as a parliament. I mean in the personnel. Of course, Jews have taken that over. It is your problem. You do not now even elect your, par your own parliament. Whether with an election you could get anything save old dead meat, I do not know. During the last war, a few men had a glimmer of instinct on whatever formula they called it pacifism. When we refuse to get involved in Jewish wars, men are labeled pacifists. Was it? All of them I ever met were pugnacious. Was it an instinct to save the butt end of the race by not fighting? Is it a mistake to combat Germans by force? Well, of course it is. Is there a race left in England? This is 1942. Has it any will left to survive? You can carry slaughtered Ireland. Will that save you? I doubt it. Nothing can save you save a purge. Nothing can save you. Save an affirmation that you are English. Of course, most Englishmen to this day have not made that affirmation. Whore Belicia is not. 
Isaacs is not. No Sassoon is an Englishman, racially. No Rothschild is English. No Strakosh is English. No Roosevelt is English. No Baruch, Morgenthau, Cohen, Lehman, Wilbur, Kuhn, Khan, Baruch, Schiff, Seif, or Solomon was ever yet born Anglo-Saxon. And it is for this filth that you fight. It is for this self that you have murdered your empire. And it is this self that elects your politicians. You have lost your tradition. You have not even learned what Lord Byron had told you. You are, as even that foul rag the Times tells you, a little late in making a start. Let me say they still haven't made a start. In the year 1942, Anno Domini... There is only one start you can make, and that is a start toward being England, a refusal to be a promise of Israel, a province of Israel, or an outpost of Yankee Judea. And he signs it, Quando tutti saremo forti, which means in Italian, when all we are strong, as Google Translator translated it for me. When all of us are strong, is probably better. All of us still aren't strong. We still aren't in Christ. Ezra Pound understood the international banking mechanisms that not only destroyed the manufacturers of England, cost England its empires, plunged England into World War II, but now has enslaved all of Europe in debt slavery, it's the same people. It's their descendants, just like Pound said, who, from London and from Wall Street, have not only destroyed England, but also America. Pound foresaw that in our subsumption of the Latin American, if I have to call them something, peoples. We didn't quite subsume them in the manner that he thought we may, but we subsumed them nevertheless. The same way that England's manufacturers were destroyed with slave labor of Russia, America's manufacturers are destroyed with slave labor of the Orient. And it's the same pattern, and it's the same people behind it. It's amazing how long... Men of our race have known we've had this problem, and yet how blind most of our race remains. The only answer to me, and, and Ezra Pound is definitely worthy of much more study and, and many more um, evenings reading, the, the only answer to me is, um, is Yahshua Christ is the fact that our kingdom has been handed over to the beast, as Revelation 17, 17 says, and that if we don't repent of the idols which these Jews have set up, we're never going to have a fighting chance. We have to straighten out our own house first. If we don't stop the race mixing, 
if we don't separate ourselves, if we don't stop buying those big screen TVs, buying that Jewish media, buying those $10 movie tickets, buying all the bullshit that the Jews have produced and put in front of our faces. These are the idols of Canaan. These are the same thing our ancestors did 4,000 years ago. They bought up the, the idols of the Canaanites and worshipped them instead of seeking their God. There's no doubt that Ezra Pound knew what was going on, and that's why they put him in the asylum. There's no knowing how, how much he could have awoken our people if he was out and, and, and could broadcast freely in America. He would have been shot. He, he'd have never made it that they would have had to get rid of him. Because he explained it in simple terms, in a manner that was obviously hard to refute. Okay, I see we have no callers, and that means I'm going to end the program here, and I thank you for listening tonight. This is Chris Deganius Saturdays. I will be back next Friday with my next section of the Gospel of Mark. Praise Yahweh. Good night.